Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Last Christmas, something happened to my daughter. So her friends and her had this gift exchange. And she had told them she had hoped for Apple AirPods. Of course, she knew that would be way too expensive for any gift exchange. So she thought her friends might well get her a cheap $20 knockoff. Anyway, the day came when they had this gift exchange. And imagine her surprise when she got this! Wow! Genuine Apple AirPods! So eagerly, she opened it up and inside, it was empty and it had these words. What a disappointment! Her friends had pranked her. Of course, her friends did get her something else, but certainly not the genuine Apple AirPods. The box though was real. It was really empty. Have you ever gotten a present and when you open it, it did not contain what you thought it would? How disappointing, how sad. From the outside, it looked like the real thing. But inside, it's another story. That's what happens in this morning's story in the Gospel of Mark. From the outside, everything seems as if it was happening and in order. But on the inside, when you took a closer look, empty. False advertisement, lies, deception. A fake. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. Before we carry on, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for a brand new day. We thank you for the week past and all that has happened. This morning, we acknowledge we live in a world full of fakes. We have fake watches, fake shoes, fake clothing, fake brands, and fake news. And yet, we do not wish to be fake people. We do not wish to live fake lives. We hunger for reality, what is really true and therefore eternal. Teach us what really matters to you and help us to live in such a way to be congruent with that reality. Move us from mere religion to full reality. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. We are preaching through the Gospel of Mark this year and we've come to the final week of Jesus' life. Here in the city of Jerusalem, he would meet his destiny in a matter of days by dying on the cross. This morning, we find Jesus at the outskirts of the city of Bethage and Bethany, and two very significant things are about to happen. He enters Jerusalem with tremendous fanfare, and the next day he cleanses the temple. What's the significance of this? What do they mean for us? These two episodes are closely related. You see, both of these episodes represent something that has all the appearance of true religion. Lots of pomp, celebration, sacrifices, song, praises to God, worship, prayers. But do they represent true religion? Were these things that God was looking for? I present to you, they are not what God is looking for. Like the box, they had all the appearance of being genuine. But when you look inside, it's hollow and empty. That's why we've entitled this morning's message, Fake or Faith, Moving from Religion to Reality. What then is this reality that Jesus is looking for? And that's what we'll explore in the message 
today. God's Word tells us two things. If we truly desire true faith and reality, one, we must move from our feelings to faith. And secondly, from ritual to relationship. Let's look at the first, moving from feelings to faith. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 and we'll read the first 11 verses. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. And this is what God's Word says. And when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the coat? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And finally in verse 11, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the familiar Palm Sunday story. And three things we note from this text. Number one, Jesus was in total control. Some people think that Jesus was just another unfortunate prophet who stepped on the toes of some religious leaders and so got killed in Jerusalem. The fact that Jesus predicted exactly where to find his ride into Jerusalem and what would happen shows that he has total control over all that would happen in the city. And we'll see this again in chapter 14 with the Passover. Wait for it. In a world that is seemingly spinning out of control, you and I can rest secure that everything is going according to God's plan. That's the first thing we need to know. Second, Jesus entered Jerusalem as her King and Messiah. You see, Jesus entered from the east, from the Mount of Olives. And this is traditionally the place where God would come once again in final judgment. And we see that in Zechariah 14 verse 4. But more importantly, Jesus entered Jerusalem in such a way that he was actually fulfilling prophecy. Look at Zechariah 9 verse 9. And this is what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. In doing so, the people should recognize that Jesus was declaring himself as king. And the third point is this. Finally, the people, unfortunately, totally missed it. Wait a minute, pastor. What do you mean the people missed it? Were they not spreading cloaks before Jesus? Were they not shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! 
You see, friends, that's my point. They were saying all this, having all these emotions, but it didn't really register with them what's truly happening. How can that be, pastor, you say? How can that be? They are saying these words. Don't they believe? Let me share with you three things that tell us the people didn't truly understand what's happening. Firstly, Jesus says so. And we see that in Luke 19, verse 41 to 44. Luke 19, 41 to 44, this is what Jesus says. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and helm you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Why? Listen to this. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. Yes, there was a lot of noise and celebration. But from God's point of view, it's just that noise. They all shouted, they all praised, but they didn't understand what was truly happening. The second is this. These shouts of praise, Hosanna, would soon turn into Christ to crucify all within the matter of a week. In other words, these were but mere words. They carried no weight. They had no reality in them. And finally, how we see Mark ends this episode is very interesting. Jesus enters the city with all this pomp and pageantry. But look at how it ends in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What an anti-climax. Instead of a coronation and mighty celebration, the crowd peters out, disappears, nothing happens, an anti-climax. All that happened was just noise. What does this mean for us? Don't mistake fanfare for faith. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for exuberant worship. The opposite danger is that in the presence of God, we can simply fold our hands and be stiff as a board. No, David danced in the Lord's presence. And certainly in pandemic times like these, where we cannot sing in church and we understand the reason for that. Yet in our hearts, we long for the time where we can open our mouths and shout praises and openly vocalize our worship to God. Isn't that in our hearts? We were made for worship with our lips, with our voices and our lives. So there is a place for feelings and exuberance. True faith must result in genuine, heartfelt emotions. The danger, however, as the text highlights to us, is this. We can do all that, but it's empty. We can praise Jesus, shout hallelujah, hosanna and all that, but at the end of the day, nothing really changes. We welcome Jesus and then like the crowd, leave him. We stop following him and all go back to our own homes. If that's what worship means for you, then it's all merely some feel-good experience and not genuine faith. Oh, you might sound like a Christian, you might worship like a Christian, but it's all just feelings. 
If that's so, then your faith may well not be genuine and it could be fake. To say that 2020 has been a tough year is truly an understatement. Never before has our lives been turned so upside down. Mask wearing, hand washing, working from home, home-based learning, video conferencing, all so foreign to us previously, has now become the new normal. The COVID-19 storm shipwrecked so many industries. Travel, oil, tourism, dining, retail and all our economies are in trouble. And may I say, all of us are tested. No, Jesus speaks about the time when storms would come to test us. He tells the story of two men who built two similar homes with similar materials. And from the ground up, everything is the same except for one difference, the foundations. One built his house on sand, the other built his house on rock. The COVID-19 storm has tested and is still testing us. You see, it's one thing to welcome Jesus exuberantly as king. When times are good, it's quite another to follow him fully as king in the midst of a storm. I'm not saying we do not get anxious. I'm not saying we do not doubt. We all do. But when we get anxious, when we are afraid, when we are tired and fatigued, do we follow our feelings? Or do we choose to hold on to God and follow him? through the storm. God invites you and I to move from mere feelings to genuine faith. Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, she says this, I'm not afraid of the storms, for I'm learning how to sail my ship. You know, we truly learn how to sail our ship only in the storm. It is in the tough times that you and I learn to live and grow our faith. Friends, these are the best times for us because only a tested faith is truly worth something. The true faith that God is looking for requires us not merely to welcome Jesus as king in the good times, but to follow him as king in the storm. Is your faith merely based on your feelings? If so, then it might well be fake. What kind of faith do you have? Is it fake or is it faith? Move from mere feelings to genuine trust. Follow Jesus as your king through the storm. So first, don't mistake fanfare for faith. In the midst of the storm, Jesus invites you and I to trust him, to follow him fully as your king. That's how we move from religion to reality. Secondly, for our faith to be real, God invites us to move from ritual to relationship. Again, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 11 and we'll read from verse 12 to verse 19. Mark 11, verse 12 to verse 19. And this is what God's Word says. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples, they heard it. Verse 15, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold, and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Verse 18, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So here's a very interesting situation. Just as Jesus goes about looking for something in the temple the day before, so now he also goes looking for something in a fig tree. And in this case, he was looking for breakfast. The idea of looking for something is very key in this text. The question we need to ask is, what was Jesus looking for? Now, I don't have green fingers, actually quite the opposite. Most of the plants I tried to plant in my house, they died. And I would surmise that most of us, we are not agriculturists as well. So we'll be not too familiar with all these situations about figs. The only fig I'm used to are the dried figs that come from China. Locally, we say in Mandarin, they are called Wu Hua Guo, or translated, it means flowerless fruits. The first time I saw and tasted real fresh figs was in Israel. They were juicy, delicious. Wow! Now, right now in Jerusalem, it's the Passover season. This is between March and April. And the mature figs are not ready yet. These mature figs would only come in mid-August and October, about our time of the year right now. But between this period where Jesus was, March and April for the Passover, the fig trees, they begin to bud and produce fig knobs called pagim. These early figs of pagim are fully edible and indeed are eaten by the locals. Now, what does it mean in verse 13 where it says, For it was not the season of figs. I believe the verse can well be translated as Bible expositor James Edward says, it was not, of course, the season for these mature figs, but it was for Pagim. How does one know when these early figs are present? That was what Jesus was looking for. Very simple. When the fig trees produce many leaves. That's what's happening here. The fig tree is said to be in leaf. It had all the signs of life. Lots and lots and lots of leaves. But when Jesus went, to get fruit from it, he found none from afar. It looked like it had fruit. But when you went closer to an inspected, empty, zero, nothing. This was not just a fake tree. It was a fake tree. F-A-K-E. Now the strangest thing happens. Jesus curses the fake tree. <laughs> you and I reading this text, it seems totally out of character with Jesus, isn't it? As a matter of fact, this is the only recorded destructive miracle of Jesus. Was this then the rash act of an angry man? You know, a hungry man is an angry man. Absolutely not. Jesus had endured much tougher times in the wilderness testing. This was not the rash, angry act of a hungry man. Friends, this is an enacted parable. How can you tell, Pastor Kai? You see, immediately after this, Jesus enters the temple and cleanses it. Herod's temple was the centerpiece of Jerusalem. As you approach it, the marble walls would gleam as gold from the morning sun, with huge Passover crowds streaming into it. 
And the first huge courtyard that you enter into would be the court of the Gentiles. This measured 35 acres of land. It's about three and a half soccer fields. It was huge. The place would be jam-packed with pilgrims, money changers and merchants selling sacrificial animals for the pilgrims to buy for sacrifice. Why money changers there? Because the temple would not accept foreign currency because these had idolatrous images on them. And the people had to exchange these for local Tyrian coins. The temple was not just big, it was big business, especially for the chief priests and the scribes. What was meant to be the touch point from heaven to earth between Almighty God and mankind has turned into what Pastor Ken Hughes calls a religious circus. The fig tree is a picture of the temple. On the outside, from afar, there seems to be lots of life. All these grand, impressive marble structures, all these sacrifices, worship, songs of praise, every religious ritual stipulated, practiced, full of noise, sound and sights. From the outside, full, filled with life. But when God comes, when God comes to inspect it for true life, empty, he finds it empty. Worse, a travesty of true faith, a den of robbers instead of a house of prayer for all the nations. And the Lord pronounced judgment on it. As far as Jesus was concerned, it was a fake. God judged the empty religious system of Israel for being empty and fruitless. Allow me to speak mostly to my own church first. As we enter into our 43rd year as a spiritual family, I deeply believe God is doing a new thing among us. This passage is very critical for us because it asks the question, what is God looking for? What does it mean to be His people? What does it mean to be His church? We might well have all the sights and sounds of a church, but do we have what God is looking for? What separates our faith from fake or genuine or from religion to what's reality? What then is God looking for? Oh, you say, Pastor, it's simple. He's looking for fruit. Yes, but exactly what is this fruit he's looking for? Oh, Pastor, fruit of spirit, fruit of life. Yes, perhaps. I believe the answer is found in the context. Let's take a look at the final verses from Mark chapter 11. And we'll read from verse 20. So Mark chapter 11, verse 20. It says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. I pause a moment here, it's very strange, you know. Jesus has been looking at all, all the time and now Peter asked the Lord, Hey, Lord, look. Let's continue reading in verse 22. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Verse 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you, your trespasses. Now we know that the fig tree represents the temple 
and God judged the religious system of Israel as empty and fruitless. Now he goes on to say something seemingly a bit unrelated. In verse 22, he speaks about faith. In verse 23 to 24, he speaks about deeper trust and faith. In verse 25, suddenly he speaks about forgiveness of sins. You know, when you're reading a text like this, you need to ask, uh, hmm, how does it tie up? How, how does it you know, flow in with the context? I present to you that whatever was lacking in the temple had something to do with this faith and forgiveness. So here's what I believe Jesus is really saying. Notice in verse 22, Jesus didn't say, have faith. Listen to what he says. He says, have faith in God. There's a big difference between saying have faith and have faith in God. In other words, it's not a matter of how much faith we have. It's the object of our faith. It's not in the system or the rituals, but it's in a person. Really, really trusting in a person. That's why this business of forgiveness comes in at the end. Why? Because unforgiveness hinders any kind of relationship, especially our relationship with God. You see, my friends, the travesty that happened in this story was not just that the religious leaders had commercialized religion. That's bad enough. The greatest travesty here was that God turned up in his temple and his people did not recognize him. The religious leaders didn't recognize him because they did not know him. They had no relationship with him. That, my friends, is at the heart of faith. It is not merely some ritual, some system of worship. No, it is first and foremost about a relationship with God. You miss that. Whatever you have, it is not true faith. Hear then to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 to 23. This refers to the last days. And this is what Jesus says. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? See, friends, all these are the religious works, you know. Look at what the Lord says in verse 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What Jesus is saying, I have no relationship with you. I, I, I never knew you in any sense of the word. True faith, genuine religion, is about knowing a person, about trusting in Almighty Creator God. Do you know God as a person? Or is God merely an idea or a thing to you? Is your faith merely about going to church? Do you have a genuine relationship with Him? That, my friends, determine whether what we have, is it fake or is it faith? Is it fake or is it faith? It all boils down to whether we have a living relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to close this morning's message with a story shared by Priscilla Schreier. It happened some 80 years ago. In 1940, Professor Edwin Orr took a group of Wheaton College students from the US on a field trip to England and they visited special places of religious significance. One of these places they visited was Atworth 
rectory in Lincolnshire, on the east coast of England. This was the home of the great reformer and founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. The tour bus stopped there and the professor brought his students to various parts of the home. In the kitchen, he showed them the place where John Wesley would have cooked his meals and had his lunch and supper. And then they moved on to his study, where many of John Wesley's books were still preserved there. There, the students were full of awe as they touched the spines of these books. Wow! These were actually touched and read by John Wesley himself. Then the professor brought them to the second floor, to the most private of places, John Wesley's bedroom. It was a small place compared with the number of students there. They filed in around the bed. And then one of the students noticed something strange. Two indentations on the carpet, on the floor beneath it, just beside the bed. So he turned to Professor Orr and said, Professor, what, what, what are these? The professor told them that these marks on the carpet and the floor were made by the knees of John Wesley, who prayed daily, not for mere minutes, but hours upon hours. Hours upon hours, he would seek God for revival, not just for England, but for other countries. He prayed for the nations. His house was truly a house of prayer for the nations. Is it not surprising then? that such great revivals did indeed break out in England and the US by the prayers and faith of such men who knew their God. History tells us of hundreds and thousands of men and women. In some cases, whole towns and villages turned to Jesus, all because men and women like this, they trusted God, they knew their God, and they sought Him for revival. Soon the tour was over and the students filed back to the bus. There, Professor Orr counted the students to make sure all were on board and only to find oh, one is missing. So he went back to the house to look for the student. He looked in the kitchen, but he was not there. He went to the study, but he was not there. And he went up to the second floor and he saw the top of the head of the student beside the bed, kneeling in the exact place where John Wesley had done so centuries before praying. As he moved closer into the room, he heard the student praying these words, do it again, Lord. Lord, would you do it again? Lord, would you do it again through me? The professor went over, gently placed his hands on the students and said, it's time to go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went to join the rest of the students on the bus. And then God did it again. We stand at the threshold of an incredible era. Amidst the pandemic storm, God is calling for men and women who will not be satisfied with mere religion, with fakes. Above all else, they want the reality of God. God invites us to truly know Him, rise up in faith, cry out to Him, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. This is God's call for us this morning, to trust Him, and seek Him with all our hearts. Let us pray. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come this day and ask that our faith be rooted in a living relationship with You, that we live and breathe and walk with You moment by moment. You are Almighty God. We have this life because of what Your Son has done for us on the cross. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We ask humbly, Lord, as you have done with your servants, John Wesley and Billy Graham, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Send revival fire upon your church and upon our nation, Lord. Do it again through us, dear Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, if you have any prayer needs or you'd like to know more about Jesus, would you kindly scan the QR code shown below? This morning, there are two reflection questions for the message. Here's the first question. How would you know if your faith is genuine or fake? First question. Second question. How would you know that you know God as a person? How would you know that you know God as a person? And you can finish by asking in prayer, trusting God for that reality to happen or deepen in your life. Allow me to pray a prayer of benediction for us as we come to a close. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you with a Christ-filled week ahead. God bless. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. 
God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.